The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Look, maybe this whole campaign was a mistake. Hmm? I'll tell you what, the Conservatives are killing us. They're 18 points up. They've won it. The Conservative ideology, they've, they've won everything, right? Mm -hmm. We just end run them here. Okay. Right. We win this thing. We go way beyond that. So right. like We're the finish line, and they're still standing on the track going, hey, what happened to us? You know? right. We steal their platform. Okay, how about we, uh, we try to get government out of uh, the healthcare business? Kill Medicare, 100%. Okay, they'll be standing there scratching their heads. Work fair, not welfare. I like that. Work mm -hmm. fair, not welfare. Let's play that card. Stop pussyfooting around killer kids. Mm -hmm. Killer kids in adult jails, all right? And if they kill again, we kill them. Hang them. I think you can do that. Kids kill, kill them. What else? We should just keep hitting market economy. That's a big hit buzzword. Hit, yeah. hit, hit, hit it. And create some jobs. You're right. But not civil service jobs. No, no, no. no, no, right? no, no, no. Not counselors counseling unwed mothers. No. You know? What we do is we create jobs so those unwed mothers will be out there producing goods and services, not babies. I Cooking love that. Goods and services, not babies. All right? You've got to carry a big stick or we're dead in this no. province. All right? Big stick like Joe Don Baker in Walking Tall. I could tie in Joe Don Baker instead of Yul Brenner. No, 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 don't, no, do no don't do that. Just don't, don't do that. that. Don't do that. No, please. Thank you. Morning, London. It's Thursday, June 5th, 2014. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now until noon. It's not right wing, it's just right. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright And welcome to our show today Where 519-661-3600 is a number to call Or write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org And of course today is our last broadcast before election day One week from today And so this will be actually be our last opportunity to comment on this Ontario election From our perspective both as observers and as direct participants in this electoral process, eh, Robert? That's right. Yeah, it's and been an exciting one. Yes, and I understand in the second half of the show you're going to be talking about the uh, the OPP Association political ad. Yeah, I couldn't let that go. And the, the consequences of that. So uh, what I wanted to start, too, was, of course, talking about some of the general issues in the election. I uh, haven't really had a chance to comment on that on my own without guests and other things on the show. And one thing that struck me is that trying to get a debate started during an election in Ontario is almost near impossible, wouldn't you say? <laughs> All the parties in the legislature are really philosophical and political clones of each other. And so, basically, because of that, they find themselves reduced to name-calling, to scandals, and other soap opera devices to try and distinguish themselves from each other because they don't have any ideas that are really fundamentally different from each other. And that perhaps explains why Freedom Party is so often excluded from debates and discussions during each election period, and not the least of which is a leaders' debate which aired this past Tuesday evening. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask myself or ask the, our listeners too is why the big issues weren't discussed. Why? was health care and education not discussed during the so-called leaders' debates. There's your, you know, almost your number one and two budgetary items, right? And what about the gas plant scandal? Well, I thought they did yell at each other about that. They? they didn't say anything c concrete about it. 
But I think the real reason was because Steve Pakin, the show's moderator, didn't ask any questions about it. I mean, it's the, he's, he's in charge, right? He gets to ask the questions. And he didn't ask those questions. Nor was the College of Trades discussed. Nor was the glaring lack of a PC budget mentioned, which they keep saying that they have. Nor was the debt or deficit discussed in any meaningful way. And, you know, when faced with the prospect of how many voters cannot decide who to vote for because they're disgusted with the current crop of choices, uh, I, I heard on Steve Garrison's CJBK broadcast, Steve Pakin suggested that if people didn't like their three choices, well, they could spoil their ballots. That was his option. Didn't even suggest voting for any of the other parties, but did mildly lament that the Green Party leader was not present at the debate. <laughs> So, you know, Pakin's silence on this kind of screams tomes because it is silence made with an effort and with an intent. And then, of course, there's the London Free Press, a local paper, no less, never even a major local story about the only provincial party in Ontario based in London with the high-profile candidates it has. The stories I can and will tell about the great efforts and lengths that the paper has gone to avoid mentioning Freedom Party wherever possible, unless in a negative way, would be unbelievable if it were not so well documented and archived. Now, to be fair, there are a great many electoral jurisdictions in the province that have been openly warm and accepting of Freedom Party's involvement, especially, I have to point out, the writing of Elgin Middlesex London. Right? That's, we, we get really accepted well there. The media, the, the people, everyone really likes our involvement. And that's where FP candidate Claire Maloney in this election is Freedom Party's candidate, and where Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever ran in the last election. And I recall in that riding during the last election, Paul made headline news with regularity in all of the community newspapers, including the St. Thomas Times Journal. Meanwhile, as this very widely reported on campaign was going on in a riding that overlaps the City of London, there was no mention of Paul McKeever whatever in the London Free Press during the last election. It, it was just glaring. It was St. Thomas Times Journal is twice the paper the Free Press is. Well, they actually get into the issues. They discuss issues. They mm -hmm. talk about things like that. They're not that. afraid. Afraid? You think? Afraid. What, um, what, what do you I have a uh, problem with the London Free Press when it comes to talking frankly about the... Uh, um, London mosques. Yes. I have problems with the London Free Press when they uh, uh, claim to be uh, fair and balanced and they uh, deliberately exclude uh, people like the Freedom Party. Uh, so yeah, we've got a lot of problems with the Free Press. It's uh, more of a local uh, community newspaper than uh, a reputable uh, journalistic endeavor. And then again, you know, something else we've experienced over and over, in addition to select members of a hostile fourth estate, there are also hostile interests. And the funny thing is these interests are generally the people who put together the all-candidates debates to beg the government for our tax dollars and who do not want to have a Freedom Party candidate participate in the debate because they don't want somebody there, you know, saying, look, at the emperor wears no clothes, and that can be very embarrassing. We had an egregious example of this during the last Thornhill by-election with Freedom Party candidate Aaron Goodwin, who was forced to stand at the back of the room and not permitted to participate in the debate going on at the front of the stage with all the other candidates participating, even independents. She's the only candidate other than the main three with signs, literature, TV advertising, and a personal investment of her time and effort into offering voters in her riding a choice, and debate organizers didn't even let her be heard. You know you're doing something right when you rankle the nerves of the establishment, and I think that's probably part of the... Um, what Freedom Party is doing right. 
it is starting to uh, uh, upset some people in the uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. in the establishment, and therefore they're they're fighting back in the only way way they know how. And um, yeah, I think we're doing something right here. Or as the other parties would say, we're doing something wrong. <laughs> well, that means it's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, after this election, I intend to chronicle an un- unbelievable list of events that have to do with direct successful efforts to keep Freedom Party, as opposed to all other candidates and parties, large and small, out of the political debate. You know, I am convinced that once the public hears, sees, and witnesses these clear and documented incidents, they will be fully convinced that we no longer live even in a semblance of a democracy, and that those who now rule, not govern us, not only don't care, but are doing whatever they can to hasten the demise. And as a party CFO and administrator of dozens of Freedom Party candidates, I witness things that I regard as unconscionable attempts to openly suppress the voting process. And of course, the main objective of such attempts is to keep from the voters' consideration any accurate knowledge of another choice on the ballot. It's unbelievable what length some of our political opponents will go to just to, just to stifle the debate. And I think one of the reasons that Freedom Party is so often picked on, I believe, is because all of the other parties see ph- Freedom Party's philosophy, polis, policies, and history of action as being one that is diametrically opposed to each and every one of them. And they have no effective arguments against anything that Freedom Party has been saying. I've seen that over and over again. You were at the debate with Salim Mansour the other night, getting heckled by the, by the union nurses there. Oh, Salim wasn't really heckled at all. Well, um, but th- that was the impression given on the radio. Yeah, but no, no, he wasn't really heckled. Um, there was one one time that uh, that happened. I, actually, I'm going to be covering that uh, very debate in the last quarter of the hour. Oh, you so are? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll be gl- looking forward to hearing about that. But, you know, the main thing is they want to create this vacuum where there is no discussion. It's always just the same the same old policies back and forth, each one taking their turn to put the same policies in place as the other guy. It's really funny. Now, of course, Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever was not included in the leaders' debate, but he did issue a press release uh, the day after the debate indicating what he would have said to the leaders had he been there. And I just wanted to highlight some of those points, and he suggests that uh, For example, he says, last night, PC leader Tim Hudak told us that his million jobs plan is a plan to balance Ontario's books. And Paul says, well, he wasn't telling the truth, because on page 13 of his million jobs plan, Mr. Hudak writes the most important sentence in his whole plan, 24 pages, quote, an Ontario PC government will balance the budget within two years of the election. This is a central pillar of our jobs plan. The detail of how we will balance the budget are laid out in detail in a separate document. In other words, the million jobs plan is not a plan to balance the budget. It's a completely separate thing. So what's the million jobs plan about? And then, of course, he says, here's what he would have asked him. He'd say, Tim, where is that document? Does it exist? If so, what is it called, this budget? And where can the voting public read it? If we cannot read it, why not? Why are you hiding it? If the document doesn't exist at all, isn't it time you admit that you have no plan to balance the budget. Then, of course, there's Kathleen Wynne, and Paul says that she asserted quite correctly that Mr. Hudak has promised to cut 100,000 jobs. This is funny, I, I didn't actually see this, but apparently Mr. Hudak accused Ms. Wynne of distorting his plan. Having accused her of, of the dishonesty of saying that he's going to cut 100,000 jobs, he then proceeded to explain that he would reduce the number of public sector jobs 
from 1.2 million to 1.1 million. <laughs> and, and Paul says, well, my statement to him would have been, Tim, 1.2 million jobs minus 1.1 million jobs is 100,000 jobs. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Wynn is correct, and so is Debbie uh, from Peterborough, who told you that your math doesn't compute, you know. So there he is. You know, and when I hear these guys talking about this 100,000 jobs, they say they're going to cut. Well, when you force them on it, they say, well, no, we're not going to cut 100,000 jobs. It's all through attrition. Well, then why did you tell us you're going to cut 100,000 jobs? That's not a job cut. That's a natural occurrence. It's going to happen. And you've made no promise at all. You're just going to wait the jobs out. That's all. That's not a promise. But it, what it is, it's a distraction from their lack of having a budget. So throw that number out there and get everybody excited about something because people might see 100,000 fewer jobs as being a means of saving taxes. But I get, I'm afraid that's not how it works. And then, of course, there's the issue of green energy. And uh, Mr. Hudak says that uh, he wants to restore affordable energy. And on the one hand, he wants, to, he wants Ontario voters to believe that he'll stop expansion of expensive wind turbine energy. On the other, he tells them that he'll introduce local decision-making about whether and where the new turbines will be installed. So are they going to end it or are they going to continue it under different conditions? And he says, if restoring affordable energy is truly your plan, why do you refuse to pull the plug on already existing overpriced green energy deals, even though the law makes it clear that Ontario can do so without facing a penalty or a lawsuit? Something I'll be getting into a little later. And then, of course, there's affordable energy. Um, the Hudak government is planning to spend $78 billion on refurbishing uh, nuclear. And, uh, you know, th that's just a huge amount of money. Where's all this savings? How can you talk about saving money and balancing budgets and not have addressed somewhere along the line health care and education? You know, if I can that, interject, that, sure, that speaks to his credibility and his trust factor. It's zero. Well, you can't do it. Or maybe he just doesn't trust the voter. <laughs> I don't know. You could look at it that way. But uh, there you go. You know, and the fact is that the, the, the Wynn government has certainly, everything she says, as Paul points out, just goes on as though nothing had happened. And he says, you know, her characterization of things deliberately leaves out the fact that after 11 years of liberal government, the government is essentially broke. Of course, both Hudak and Wynne are committed to expanding public transit in, in Toronto at the expense of all uh, Ontario taxpayers. And, of course, Ms. Horwath, here, there she is. She's actually come out and said that, yeah, she's a socialist and she's going to keep putting in socialist plans, and we've seen what a, commo a commitment to socialism results in. Um, you know, bad socialism isn't the alternative to bad ethics or bad math. And those are just a few of the things that Paul might have added to the debate. I think it would have been very interesting had we had a real leaders debate. Yeah. Remember, Robert? So right now, let's take a quick break for a smile as we return after uh, to continue this discussion on the Ontario election. You guys, you guys, we got a problem in this campaign, okay? Right. You know what our problem is? What? We're losing. We're dead here, okay? okay. If we don't come up with something, if we don't, you know, I think we got to find out what it is that we just, as a human being, what we love in this guy, aside from his image, mm -hmm. right, aside from the hair and aside from the, you know, the broadcast image, what, what we really love about this guy, the person, and we capitalize on that. What? What Sorry. do you think? I was cracking my knuckles. Can you think of anything that 
you've done in your life that has been of value. Yeah. Okay. You want it? You want it right now? That. I mean, can I? I'll get back to you on it. Yeah, okay. Then, good. Good. Like, think about that. I'm going away this weekend, but. Okay. I know. I know. Okay. So not Monday, but Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Anything from your youth that we could capitalize on? Something courageous that you did? Something extraordinary? Yeah, um, 18, 19, 20, something like that. And I met this girl. She was maybe a little younger, I don't remember, 17, 16. She got pregnant. And um, I just assumed that she was using something, a birth control or something, and I, I didn't even think about it. And then she's harp harping on me to, to do something about it. So I went to my mother, who had been gathering money up for a, uh, a charity food drive thing. And I somehow talked my mother into giving me the money, and I sent it off. I gave it to this girl. To, take, to take care of, the, of a, for an abortion, I assume. Wait, you mean you never... No, God, no. <laughs> I never saw her again. Mm, I don't know if we can use that. No, we need something a little more heroic. As There's opposed parts to of it we can use. Yeah, maybe yeah. she wasn't really pregnant uh, at all. Maybe it was like a false pregnancy. False maybe, pregnancy. maybe she was like crazy. And in not she seeing her, if we could, yeah. if we could massage maybe. that so that you've yeah. maintained Perhaps. steady contact. I, I love the food drive part of it, right? For the poor. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, maybe we can work the hooker, Mary Magdalene thing. And you had an older brother, you know, he had a couple hundred bucks because he wanted to spend them on uh, like two hundred dollar hookers or something. Right? Right. And uh, some knight or a, or a buddy that so wanted I, to do I, this and get some drugs together and some alcohol for hookers. And you said, I and you took the money. And put it to better use. And you gave it to the, and you gave it for the food drive. For the food drive. For the food drive. That's great. Yes. Okay. okay. I mean, so that's forget a story. the whole bit about the pregnancy. With yeah, yeah, just for, but I mean, it's, it basically is a true story. Yeah. Very good. Well, there you go. Basically, it's a true story. <laughs> just, just like all the other have-truths we tend to get. You know, I've been following certainly the local... Um, all candidates debates because of the high-profile issue that we're involved with here locally in the city of London and it's really interesting I was particularly listening to London West PC candidate Jeff Bennett who has been on the hustings for apparently four weeks before making his statement who spoke about getting energy prices down and citing anecdotes of people who are leaving the province because of expensive power etc etc then a caller identifying himself as a supporter of Freedom Party asked Mr. Bennett, quote, what is his position on the Ontario Court of Appeals ruling that the province will not and cannot be sued by the people that entered into subsidies with the province if the government renegotiates those contracts to market prices, end quote. And then Andy Utman cited Paul McKeever's appearance on his show earlier in the week, which caused a three-hour uproar on the station. You remember that? I do. It was great. When, when Paul mentioned that you, we could get out of these contracts, the lines apparently on Andy's show just lit up. And apparently I heard that when London West Al Gretzky pointed out the court decision at an all-candidates debate earlier last week, I'm told you could have heard a pin drop when he showed the document to the people in attendance. But said Jeff Bennett, he says, I tend to agree with his position, referring to McKeever's position. And he says, quote, and I wish we were able to do that. And I know Mr. Gretzky in London West, and I have known him for a number of years, and we actually agree on a good number of issues. The only problem is, get this, there's ideas, and then there's realistic ideas. 
and not everything put forth by the Freedom Party is realistic, but when you're in a position where you know you're not going to be the government that takes power, it's easy to go out and say, quote, we would do this or we would do that, but you know you're not going to have to follow through on those. I hope it is as Freedom Party says it is, says Bennett. Now, what kind of statement is that? What do you think he's saying there? Well, first of all, he's saying that he didn't know that this was going to be the case, so he's ignorant, and he should have educated himself. Secondly, um, he is giving you the classic conservative line, which is one of the following. Now is not the time. The issue is too (laughs) complex. The issue is on, that's an unrealistic position to take. The world is a lot messier than it Mm -hmm. seems on on paper. Uh, Those kinds of things. There's a much more efficient way to do things. I'm sure that we can have our cake and eat it too. All conservative lines. I agree, you know, and you hear them over and over again. I've heard them for 30 years, and it's just amazing that the current crop of conservatives don't know their own past. They don't know their own party history. At least they don't seem to act as if they do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, their realistic ideas are like having a budget that the public can't see or view, you know. There's there's just no such thing for the PCs, even though their ads and their candidates all insist that they have a budget in some separate document somewhere, somewhere unavailable. Freedom Party has put its budget and plan to balance that budget right on the front page of its website for three years now. And that budget is, in essence, Freedom Party's platform in, the, in this election. And it includes the elephant in the room, health care, the issue that none of the other parties, not a single one, has even spoken to within reference to the budget or this election. The Hudak conservatives, fully committed to the single-payer health care monopoly, have promised to spend more even on health care, as if that has ever improved care or shortened waiting lines in any measurable way. Every time they do it, I don't hear things getting better, but worse in the emergency department area. So I think the issue we have to really look at is, and make it clear to people, that yes, it's a shocking solution, but we can pull the legislative plug on all these existing deals uh, for green energy. When Paul McKeever caused a storm of controversy on CJBK on May 27th over cancelling the contract idea, he was challenged and refuted by those who had made contracts with the government. And one person called in whose name was Alan. And Alan called in and he said, quote, uh, Paul McKeever's talking through his hat or blowing it out somewhere else. You can't renege on a contract like that. I'm in the solar business, so I'm a little biased here, he says. The wind power cutbacks, I can partly agree with, because nobody likes them anyways. So there's one businessman. He's in solar, but if you're in wind, well, forget it. It doesn't apply to you. It just applies to me. But to say that they're going to tear up the contracts, he says, that's nonsense. That's never going to happen. We've already looked into that with the solar industry, and if he shuts it down, there will be between thirty to 50,000 jobs gone. And then McKeever responded. He says, we're not proposing shutting down solar. We're proposing that Allen charge market rates. But apart from that, it's in Alan's hands. We're not going to help Alan maintain his workforce if what's required to do it to do it is to skim the public for him. That's not going to continue. And then, amazingly, Udman then asked Alan whether he felt guilty about getting rich with all these obscene subsidies. And he answers, quote, No, and I'm not getting rich. Let me tell you something, he says. They started out at 80 cents for solar. I agree that they paid too much. 80 cents was just nuts, yet yet he accepted it, right? (laughs) Then they shut us down for a year while they readjusted the price. I was out of business for a year. Everybody went broke. I hung on by the skin of my teeth, okay? They lowered it down to 55 cents, and now it's down to 40 cents. 
Electricity is going to be around 40 cents in five or 10 years anyways, so it's no longer obscene. <laughs> wow. It makes perfect common sense, and what Paul McKeever is saying, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And Paul says, well, the public's just heard what they're up against and why they should be voting for Freedom Party. <laughs> the other parties will continue to pay the Allens. And then Paul McKeever is like the NDP, says Allen. They don't exist in the real world. <laughs> there we go again. <laughs> and Paul says, well, we'll see what the real world does to Allen. And to the Allens out there, it's not the price that's obscene. It's the unfree means by which that price was set that is obscene. And, you know, I have to say... A person like Alan, he's, he's a typical person that we always talk about who is a businessman but not a capitalist. Yes, right? and there's a lot of them out there. They're, they're all, he's a socialist in, in, in every sense of the way because he's willing to accept market intervention done on his behalf, whether it's by liberals, conservatives, or whatever. And in the same breath that he says that it's impossible to break these contracts, he gave us three examples of how the government already did it to him. They started off at 80 cents. Mm -hmm. They put him out of work for a year. They cut it to 55. Then they cut it to 40. Hello, Alan, are you out there? <laughs> <laughs> it's reality calling. <laughs> it's reality calling. And you just can't get into these issues like that. And then, of course, uh, oh, and when asked how the, how the other parties would react to Freedom Party suggestion to pull the plug on these deals, uh, Paul replied, just as what you just said, <laughs> Robert, I suspect they'll sing in harmony that it can't be done, it won't be done, and shouldn't be done. And that's precisely why none of them should get your vote, he said. And then right away, real upset for individual Arn, a PC supporter. By the way, this is the same Arn who I praised at length on a previous show for his understanding of how political parties work and how, how they must function. Do you remember that one? No, I can't say I do. Oh, well, he, he, he was really on target when I heard him on another show on how, how parties work. And, you know, conservatives are always into process and economics, but seem to just abandon the whole system when it comes to moral government, governance. It's, it's just amazing. And here's what he says. Quote, I'm not hearing heart in this conversation. There are people who might well be driven into bankruptcy if a blanket hardline approach was taken on the subject. I disagree with wind and solar as being too expensive for the province, but I can't see a blanket approach which hurts people. Now, of course, the blanket approach he's referring to is to stop hurting people by subsidizing uneconomical and destructive enterprises. Charge market rates. Compete. It's called free markets. It's called capitalism. It's freedom. And conservatives are always against these very things that they have so long purported to support. It's right out of an Ayn Rand Atlas Shrugged novel. He says, I may be a conservative by nature, but I also have a heart to approach things in a reasonable way so you can deal with people and not have casualties, he says. So obviously you know, he's, he's very selective in who he calls well, a casualty. He doesn't see the casualty of the people paying the 80 or the 40 precisely. cents. You know, and, and how many of the fictional characters in Atlas Shrugged in and the Fountainhead said exactly this sentence? I mean, over and over again, Rand was so correct on, on, on conservatism. Capitalism is about profit and loss. Milton Friedman reminded us of that all the time. And to prevent the loss part of it is to prevent wealth creation and prosperity for all. You've got to weed out the losers because they're wasting our money. They're making us pay more than we need to and are therefore driving our standard of living down. All of us get hurt. Arn's heart is on the side of injustice and is opposed to the just. 
he has no heart for those forced by law to support solar allens, all the solar allens mm-hmm. out there. And he's on the side of injustice, plain and simple. And, and you know, with that, all I want to do is do what I did again on, uh, I did this on Andy Utman's show. People should learn about this killing green contracts uh, issue. The National Post has two great articles that you can refer to online. One by Lawrence Solomon, published on April 4th, 2014, in the National Post, and the other by a fellow named Bruce Party on May 15th, National Post. And I think uh, he, the second one, being a professor of law at Queen's University, makes it very clear how this would work. And this is where people get confused. Like the like Alan, he probably thought that it would be done in this first way. And um, Mr. Purdy reminds us, he says, the wrong way is to direct the Ontario Power Authority to simply terminate existing contracts which have robust compensation clauses. The liabilities would dwarf the $1.1 billion paid out the Liberals for cancelled gas plants. Which, by the way, and people have to understand this, the Liberals could have gotten out of those gas plant issues without having to have paid anything. They did so voluntarily just to hide it from the public so that the party could get in it. It's just, it's frightening. But what he says is the right way is to legislate, to enact a statute that declares green contracts to be null and void and the province to be free from liability. The compensation clauses in the contract will be rendered inoperative if the statute says so. There are other considerations, of course, and he talks about how legislatures, you know, they can cancel contracts, but he asks, should they? Be, and why do they so rarely do it? Because, well, it penalizes parties who have done business with government and therefore creates a disincentive to do business with government in the future. Now, that may well be true, but then how do you explain Ernie Eves putting a price cap on the price of electricity just as the confidence of the private market was starting to come into Ontario? That's where it all started, it's, by the way. That's where all the, all the current stuff started with the PCs. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just an amazing history, and people seem to look at the PCs as being the alternative to the red uh, liberals and the red uh, uh, NDP. NDP, which they use orange, of course. But And again, um, he concludes, Bruce Party does it, contracts are safe when both parties are bound in law to follow them. Contracting with government means that one party has the power to change the rules after the contract is made. Buyers and sellers beware. At the end of the day, the protection in a government contract is not legal, but political. And that's what the whole bottom line is. And when a political party gets in, they can actually change things. Now we're at the bottom of the hour. Let's take a quick break for uh, another smile, and we'll be back with your report on this OPP um, election ad. Is that what I shall call it? The OPPA. OPPA. Oh, association. Yes. Yes, of course. We'll be back right after this. They've got Jim's marks here, his high school marks, his junior high marks, F's and incomplete. They're using it in their campaign literature. Okay, let's, we'll stick to the real issues in this campaign. Let them stoop to that kind of crap. Oh, Are we there yet? What else? Religion? Church? Well, he doesn't go to church. Well, we'll get him a church, all right? Wait a minute, what kind of church? Well, I don't know, you know, nothing too churchy, nothing too religious. Well, uh, we're pretty weak on family, right? Jim's, Jim's been separated for six years. Mm-hmm. Look, uh, two adults made a choice and handled it with sensitivity for each other's feelings and, and needs. We can make that work for us. You respect each other, we can sell that, right? That bitch still cost me 10 grand a year. What if we give her 15, will she get back together with you? Well, she might. Done. Okay, get him an AIDS test, make sure it's negative. Get him a church, 
You know, no wailing, no guilt, no suffering, none of that, all right? Should there be a God? Yes, there should be a God, and I want you to pay off the wife, all right? Pay off the wife, call it support, make sure we get our money's worth. I want her to smile a lot. We work hard every day. We risk our lives. Tim Hudak says he's a friend, but Tim wants to cancel our contract, cut our pay, and cut pensions for new hires. It also means we need to look at our pension system. We're the OPPA, and we're here for you. Who's Tim Hudak here for? We're the OPPA, and we're here to keep you safe. Tim Hudak says he'll rip up contracts, leading to labor strife and expensive litigation. I'm here today to call upon you to make that sacrifice one more time. Every day, we work hard for you. Who's Tim Hudak working for? Well, that begs the question, who's the OPPPA working for? As a matter of fact, didn't you hear when they're talking, there's, we're the OPPA. It's almost as, as a, a little break there. I almost wanted to say the OPP, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my first reaction when I heard about, heard about the OPPA's interference into this election was like uh, that of many others um, on the Andy Usman show. We heard a lot of vitriol coming out of uh, the callers about this. Um, we are that much closer, people are saying, to becoming a police state, and the OPP were becoming the paramilitary wing or brown shirts of the Liberal Party of Ontario, some people were saying. It was a knee-jerk reaction, and no, we are nowhere near being a police state. Hey, I participated in that knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> you had the same reaction? Well, I, I called in, I said, you know, it gives new meaning to the word police state. I said, the police state, your preference for you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Now, as bad as the OPP have been on several occasions, Ipperwash, Caledonia, Idle No More, medical marijuana user raids, they are far from being like the police under Chile's Pinochet or Cuba's Batista. But as Ontario becomes more authoritarian, and the OPP continue to rack up a history of disobeying the courts, playing favorites with Aboriginals, getting politically involved in elections then the gap is closing between the relatively free situation we have today and the police state of tomorrow. It takes decades of slow cultural change to create a police state. It involves disarming the citizens. Hmm. A government which operates in secret. Hmm. A political cronyism and nepotism. And the hmm. list goes on until one day we wake <laughs> up to a country we no longer recognize. But we're decades away from that scenario playing out, I'm sure. So my first reaction was an overreaction, I admit. In any large organization, we are bound to find people who act unprofessionally and who push the boundaries of decency and good sense. This was the case with the former leader of the OPPA, Carl Walsh, who ran for the Liberals in the 2000 election, 2011 election, sorry. He gave speeches in his conspicuous OPPA a jacket, and appeared in uniform on his campaign's website, not hiding the fact that he is an OPP officer with a gun on his hip. No kidding. The OPPA ads were just heard, um, we just heard, uh, the two of them, by the way, features OPP officers in OPP uniforms with guns on their hips standing next to actual OPP cruisers with a voiceover letting us know that we should not vote for Tim Hudak. But this is a video by the OPP Association, 
which cannibalized a previous video of the OPP showing officers in the community and not originally shot for use by the association, I understand. Is that right? Yeah. Like any union or employee association, um, there are many members who disagree with the leadership of that union. And as in many unions, the most militant and hateful rise to positions of authority. Apparently, on a talk show in Toronto, a representative of the OPPA was heard to say that the OPP might not come to the aid of anyone who has a Tory sign on their lawn. But that was supposed to be a joke. Well, if I was a member of that association, I'd be moving for the immediate replacement of that spokesman. The OPP are currently investigating allegations of wrongdoing and possible criminal activity by the Liberal government, for example in the gas plant scandal and the Orange Air Ambulance scandal. OPP officers, who are members of the OPPA, an organization now known to be openly favorable to the Liberals, are investigating the Liberal government. Does anyone see a problem with this? I do. The military in this country is very strict when it comes to its members acting politically. They will not put campaign signs on their lawns. They will not show up in uniform to a political rally. They will not speak publicly for or against any political party or candidate while in uniform or out of it. The same should apply to the police. And in fact, the same should apply to anyone who accepts a salary from the government, in my opinion. Governments are there to serve all the people, regardless of your political affiliation, and should not only be impartial, but must be seen to be impartial. If you don't agree with that condition of being a public servant, then quit your job. Remaining politically neutral is and should be a condition for all public servants. I will not only suggest this apply to the police, but to, as well, teachers, clerks, firefighters, garbage collectors. It doesn't matter. You have the right to vote. You do not have the right to use your position to intimidate others into voting your way. You've been given a monopoly in the marketplace. With that privilege comes restrictions. These restrictions don't violate your freedom of speech. Because, as I said before, you don't have to take that job. You can quit your job and run for office yourself if you so choose. You have a choice. No one's forcing you to do anything. Quoted in an article by Christina Blizzard of the National Post, Toronto lawyer Paul Copeland says that the Public Service Act prohibits civil servants from commenting on politics. This is as it should be. Whether or not their unions or associations are under the same restrictions is unclear, but I think it should be made clear that civil servants cannot contract out, as it were, their political preferences to an association. It's the same thing. To quote Copeland, quoting the Act, Civil servants cannot comment publicly outside the scope of his or her duties as a public servant on matters that are directly related to those duties and that are addressed in the policies of a federal or provincial party or in the policies of a candidate in a federal or provincial election, unquote. Blizzard continues by saying, quote, The cops have crossed a big blue line with these ads. The big question is, can we make a citizen's arrest, unquote. The OPP, A, has done every OPP officer in this province a disservice by tainting the public's opinion of them. If a prominent Tory supporter is now arrested for whatever reason it should be, it'll be in the back of the mind always that he may have been targeted by the OPP because of his political affiliation. We can't get that out of our minds now. They put it there and it's going to stay there. 
Could it be possible that in the future, trials, the political affiliation of the accused be used as a defense if he was arrested by the OPP? Nope, the OPP has done, the OPPA has done a great disservice to the provincial police. These ads should be removed and the current leadership of the OPPA dismissed by its members. Let's take a look. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you, Robert. I just wanted to add to that that, yeah. you know, people forget that the police are the public's force. Force is the word, a just force. That force must be subject to the people and not the people subject to the force. Remember, force is what is governed mm -hmm. when we talk about governing. And that is all that is really governed. When we, when we go to the polls, what we're actually telling our politicians is, this is where I agree you should or should not use force on people, on whatever policies you support. So I'm not very, you know, it's not surprising that we always hear the police talking about being in support of drug laws, being in support of gun control, things that give them a, more of a monopoly. I mean, that's almost a union thing in and of itself. And that's a little discer discerning too, even the fact that our forces are unionized. That itself is scary. That's something else that I would probably talk about on another show mm -hmm. is whether or not you can have two bosses, one being uh, the legislature, the other being your union boss. Yeah, it's a scary because situation. It, it is, I think, a conflict, and I think that if anybody's going, just briefly, I think if anybody's going to be in uh, a police force, then they should not have that kind of um, a status being mm -hmm. a, a union person. Uh, it's just a conflict. Right. Yeah. Anyway, let's um, next? take a break um, when we're going to be uh, coming back after this clip talking about are you a communist or are you a fascist or who really cares either way. Hogan, I'm busy. I do not wish to see you today. As a matter of fact, I do not wish to see you any day. As we're being honest, I'm not too thrilled at seeing you either. I was looking for Colonel Becker. He and General Burkhardt are in town. Dismissed. I wanted to thank him for a delightful evening. Why, thank him. It was my wine. <laughs> told all those funny stories about the Russian front. German troops are eating their cartridge belts, marching in snow up to their waists, fighting night and day in raging blizzards. You call those funny stories? I laughed. <laughs> Miss. <laughs> You're not going to believe all that stuff, are you? I do not wish to discuss it. Well, I happen to know that your German officers are fraternizing with the beautiful Russian women. The vodka's flowing like the Volga. There are parties every night. They're having a ball. <laughs> German officers do not fraternize with Russian women. <laughs> you can see they sucked you in like everybody else. Hogan, anyone returning from the Russian front tells the same stories as Colonel Becker. Of course. When you got a good thing going, you don't want to blow it. <laughs> Freezing in the winter is not a good thing. That's the propaganda. The truth is, all the German officers are buying into the ski resorts around Stalingrad. That's ridiculous. It's Sun Valley with borscht. Hogan, you must imagine that I'm some sort of fool. If you're smart, Colonel, you'll take your next furlough at Minsk. I wouldn't go to Minsk if you put a gun to my... I am Olga Artsikov. Oh. <laughs> Please. I am looking for Colonel Beck. Oh, Colonel Becker is in town, but he should be back any moment. Won't you sit down, please? Oh, I can only stay a few moments. Are you a close friend of the Colonel's? Like blinces and sour cream. Can't get much closer than that, sir. <laughs> dismissed, Hogan. When did you say my little Bublitschke will be back? Oh, he should be back any time. I must go to hotel and pack. We go back to Russia in the morning. 
Is that where you met the colonel? Da. His officer's club is next door to my father's farm. I am the farmer's daughter. Now you can see why Colonel Becker painted such a grim picture of the Russian front. Send me to the hot springs. A Russian front. First, I sent you to the base psychiatrist. <laughs> I've been thinking about this for a long time. 45 minutes at least. <laughs> now, who would have thought that at one time the Soviet communists were our allies against the National Socialists of Germany? Who would have thought that decades later we would see a communist candidate running for election here in Ontario receive such a warm welcome from an audience at a candidate debate, as a con- as the candidate did in this uh, last uh, candidate debate in London North Centre. I was there, actually, in Monday's mm-hmm. debate. The one we Orga- talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah, organized by the Registered Nurses of Ontario and the Ontario Health Coalition. Freedom Party candidate Salim Mansour told the crowd that the communist candidate, Dave McKee, was like a Rip Van Winkle, rising from a long slumber only to find that his clones had taken over. The Greens, PCs, Liberals, and the New Democrats had taken the place of the Communist Party members who hadn't fielded a candidate in that riding for 20 years. The evidence that Salim was correct was all around him. Throughout the debate, the Communist Party candidate received as much thunderous applause from the crowd of unionized healthcare workers as that given to the Green, the Liberal, and the NDP candidate. The only anomaly was the tepid applause given to the PC candidate Nancy Branscombe, and that only because of the supposed anti-union stance of her leader, Tim Hudak, and the traditional cold shoulder given to the progressive conservatives by union activists, contrary to the evidence that the PCs are every bit as much to the left of the other parties as the Communist Party candidate himself. More so, in fact, as we have brought up on this show before, with the litany of all the left-wing things the PCs have brought into power here. For those not fortunate enough to be there to see Professor Mansur put these people in their place, I have just this morning uploaded video of the entire event onto Just Right's YouTube channel. As far as I know, that is the only extant video of the uh, debate that you're going to find online. I noticed that there was the news people there, but they took their um, usual few clips and, uh, and left. So, see for yourself. Um, just go to our YouTube channel, uh, Just Right, and uh, see the communist message being repeated by the five left-wing parties. It became almost comical, actually, Bob, as the Green Party candidate, Kevin Labonte, praised the Liberal government on several occasions mm. for the way they've handled the delivery of health care in the province. Makes me think one of these things is just like the other. <laughs> yeah, all five of them are. A health care system, I uh, might remind you, but was lost on the audience, created by the progressive conservative government of John Robarts. Although, uh, at one point, New Democrat candidate Judy Bryant claimed that it was her party that started socialized medicine in the province. Not to be outdone, the communist candidate resurrected the ghost of the communist Dr. Norman Bethune, saying it was him who started socialized medicine in this province. Well, guess what, folks? It was the conservatives who started (laughs) 
oh, socialized medicine in Ontario under John Robarts and continued with Bill Davis when it actually became the acronym OHIP in 1972. See also how the, um, if you look at the video, how the Ministry of Health herself confuses computer initiatives by her own ministry, leaving people in the audience with their heads shaking at her obvious ignorance. This goes unreported by the media, by the way, although uh, that poor excuse for a news daily did take the time to swipe at Salim for his message that the economy was broke, a refrain he did repeat several times, because it's such an important uh, central item. Yeah, and the rest of them don't care. Yeah. They, they have no compassion for anybody. You want to talk about feelings and, and, and you know, compassion. Or heart. And heart. Well, where is it? It's not in the left, that's for sure. No. As a matter of fact, Salim, by the way, was well um, received in that crowd, even though mm-hmm. it was a hostile crowd, his message resonated because he was trying to impress upon them the fact that if you want your health care, you better fix the economy. Because a third of a trillion dollar debt by a province is totally unsustainable. And when we go down, the healthcare profession is going to go down with it. And they actually quite enjoyed Salim's animated and passionate um, presentation. Um, for the different reason that they enjoyed the communists and the greens Understood, and the yeah. PCs, liberals and new dems you know bob and i have spent several episodes on this show demonstrating how the words and actions of the pcs ndp and liberals are socialist in nature more specifically we've demonstrated that they are fascist that is to say they practice that kind of socialism begun by mussolini private ownership by government uh, but government control of the economy. So you got private property, but government control in every aspect of the economy. Which is Con- the best deal for government, because they're not saddled with ownership issues. No, it's a very parasitic right. relationship. Yeah, now contrast this brand of socialism with communism, which has no private ownership. The brand advocated by the Communist Party candidate and echoed by the liberal New Dems and PC candidates when it comes to health care in the province. None of those parties want to see private health uh, run uh, either insurance or delivery in the province. Remember, it was the, the PCs, PCs who, who outlawed <laughs> private health care insurance in the province. Outlawed it. The common refrain amongst um, all three were that corporations, private enterprise, and profit have no place in the delivery of health care. The communist viewpoint, the authoritarian viewpoint, But outside of this radio show and university classrooms where the fine points of political theory actually matter, whatever brand of socialism being advocated and practiced by the party in power in Queen's Park is irrelevant to you and I. All we see are the results. If a thug came up to you on the street brandishing a handgun and demanding all of your money or he'll kill you, you don't stop to consider his politics. All you see is the gun. It's that way with the PCs, the New Democrats, and the Liberals, the Greens, and the Communists. It doesn't matter if they're practicing fascism, communism, Fabianism, Marxism, Stalinism, Trotskyism, or National Socialism. All you see is the gun. All you experience is the force, the coercion, the lack of choice. There's only you and a thug ready to rob or kill you. The finer points of political theory are irrelevant to Joe the Plumber. So when three or four, or in this case five, thugs come up to him demanding his money or his life, he just chooses the thug 
who might ask for only some of his money, or the thug who might be less mean-looking, the one with the heart, or the thug who promises that the money is he's stealing is going to go to a good cause. So that justifies him putting a gun to, to, to his face. When all the while, what he really wants is for someone to come by and make the thugs go away. In the case on Monday night, that person was right there. Whether or not the victims will take their attention away from the barrels of the guns long enough to see the help being offered, we'll know on June 12th. Good luck, Salim. And to every other Freedom Party candidate trying to tell you that you do not have to put up with these uh, thugs. You know, I'm reminded of the old saying, when persuasion fails, use force. You know, that's, that's the philosophy of people who don't get their own way and who can't convince others by means of persuasion to agree with them. Mm -hmm. So you pull out a gun and you say, well, you don't have to agree, you just have to obey. Follow me, do what you want, you know, and that's how it goes. As long as, the, as, long as it's done in a good cause, Bob. Oh, yeah, it's all course. for the kids, it's all for the, uh, the disadvantaged, <laughs> it's all for the victims, it's all for the, uh, the people who are suffering, don't you know? You've got to have heart, Bob. <laughs> what are you suggesting? I don't have one. <laughs> well, I know that that fellow who talked on the Andy Udman show about having heart, he has a heart all right, but it's black. Well, it's misplaced. It's, it's misdirected. And, and, you know, I can understand feeling, you know, some sort of compassion for someone who's going through financial difficulties, even if you got well, into them yourself. Of course. But you can't be arguing that in a political arena. That's a different area. You're talking to all the victims. You're talking to all the participants. You're not just talking to the one person, one-on-one, -on -one, who can easily solve this problem in a number of ways without having to loot his neighbors. Come on. What kind of world do we want to live in? I guess we're already living in it, I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, unfortunately, we are. And uh, so, you know, all I can say is, you know, a lot of people are concerned about who and what to vote for. Um, you know, the thing is, you have to vote with knowledge and not with just a feeling of something or if you don't know what you're what you're voting for and don't vote against all the time vote for something because as long as you're voting against one you're just replacing them with another if, if well there there is something to be said i mean if you're given a a, a, a you know a, a table spread of all evil and there is some discernible difference between the evils that you vote the lesser mm -hmm. but when you're given uh, candidates stellar candidates like paul mckeever salim Mansur, al gretzky claire maloney from the freedom party who oh. are actually advocating a positive force out there then there is absolutely as you say no uh, justification for voting for any of those evils. And I disagree with a lot of the pundits out there, like the Steve Garrisons or whoever, saying that, just get out there and vote. It's your duty. It's your right. You have to exercise it. No. If you are unsure, if you don't know, if you're uneducated, please do us all a favor and stay home on June 12th. <laughs> we don't want you throwing that vote at somebody you don't know what they're going to do. Educate yourself and then make an informed decision. Otherwise, please stay home. Well, I guess just as we should be pulling the plug on all those untenable green energy schemes, we'll also have to pull the plug on this episode of Just Right. I want to say thanks to our operator, Richard. Thanks for coming in, Richard. You can hit that button now because we're going to return next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see ya. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Hello. 
Daphne Moon. Hi. You know, my uncle was a political writer for one of those London tabloids. I can still remember his biggest scoop. The headline read, High-ranking politician caught wearing women's clothing. Of course, you turned to page two and you found out it was Margaret Thatcher, but by then you'd already bought the paper. <laughs> Well, thank you, Miss Moon.